challenging and unmasking the powers of evil. There is no other way to be with him. At the heart of mission is simply a desire to be with him and to give him the service of our lives. At the heart of mission is thanksgiving and praise. I'm not sure sharing his mission with the service of our lives is the primary way we see our role in the kingdom once we claim Jesus as Lord. I would argue that it seems like there might be a disconnect for the American church somewhere between being saved and being sent. We had a pretty strict rule in our house growing up that if you missed school for sickness, then no other activity could be done on that day. How many people had that rule growing up? Okay. You are all great people, and you have grown immensely from that rule. There was no going outside to play later in the day. You could not show up to practice later that afternoon. You certainly could not go to a friend's house or, frankly, even speak to a friend on that day. No matter how good you felt by the afternoon, you had to stay home. Even if the Holy Spirit's miraculous healing fell upon your shoulders, you were on the couch eating cinnamon toast points for the remainder of the day in our house. That was just the way it was. This created me in a, uh, this created in me a deep understanding that you had to be willing to put in the work and follow through with your commitments before you could pursue the more fun things in life. If you were too sick, then you couldn't enjoy the fun things in life. Grace and I, my wife and I, have tried to adopt this rule in our house, not because we care for the physical health and well-being of our kids, although we do, uh, but more because we wholeheartedly believe in the value and truth of this idea that hard work pays off, right? If we were to allow, our boys would skip 40% of their soccer practices because they're tired or they're not feeling up to it or they want to play Legos instead, but then intend to show up to 100% of their Saturday games and start. But that presents a few problems, right? It creates entitlement. It creates low work ethic, selfishness, lack of teamwork and discipline and commitment, to name a few. And so we've placed some parameters around these things, that if you want to play in the game, you have to attend the practices. It just makes sense. If you want to play with your friends, you have to be well enough to go to school. If you want to enjoy freedoms, then you have to be responsible with the tasks given. These are not groundbreaking parenting insights. However, they are values that Grace and I believe in and try to instill. And I would argue that one of the greatest strategies in the modern Christian faith is our lack of understanding of what it mean, means to be sent to truly follow this idea of a great commission. And similar to how my kids want to play in the game without any of the practice, I think many in, in the church love the idea of salvation with no intention of ever being sent. We want eternal security without any skin in the game. And this, I believe, is where the disconnect lies. I think most of us would comply with the need that there is some behavior modification, and, and even most people could say that, uh, yeah, telling others about Jesus is important. This idea of evangelism is important, but the scripture seems pretty clear that in the same way Jesus was sent, so are we, 
And Jesus did far more than follow biblical rules and just tell people about God by handing out tracts. This was essentially what Jesus is speaking to Peter about in John 21. After clearly hearing this call in our scripture today, understanding that they are now sent in the same way Jesus was sent, they still find themselves later on the beach, still misunderstanding, and so going back to fishing, the things that they had always done, going back to their old life. And so Jesus says, what are you guys doing? And he distills his message even a little bit more. And he explains that being sent means feeding my lambs. It means tending my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. Again, this repetition tipping us off that maybe what's being said is pretty important in this moment. And short of explaining by lambs and sheep, he means people. Jesus does not leave a lot to be deciphered as to what it looks like to be sent anymore. It means rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. What's great is that we don't actually have to try to figure out what this looks like or how to do this because Jesus gave us the ultimate pattern. As he was sent, we are now sent. So it stands to reason that we can look at his life and figure out a few distinctives about what it means to be sent. And I'm going to give you three this morning. The first one is this. Jesus was sent incarnationally. You see, the incarnation is far more than the reality that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Yes, that is part of it. But the incarnation is that he took on humanity to be closer to us. It was the only way to be closer to us. He did it to understand humanity, to feel pain and hurt and betrayal in the same ways that we do. He did it to speak face-to-face with his loved ones. And now this becomes the pattern that we must follow, to be close to and with those around us. John Stott says this, As Christ had entered our world, so we are to enter other people's worlds. It was eloquently explained by Archbishop Michael Ramsey some years ago. We state and commend the faith only insofar as we go out and put ourselves with loving sympathy inside the doubts of the doubters, the questions of the questioners, and the loneliness of those who have lost the way. This entering into other people's worlds is exactly what we mean by incarnational evangelism. All authentic mission is incarnational mission. We are to be like Christ in his mission. Jesus was sent to a particular place in a specific time in history. He was sent to be with people, to rub shoulders with those who believed different things than he did, who lived lives counter to the life that he lived, to be with those who have been outcasts due to their religion, their gender, their ethnicity. Donald McLeod says it this way, he lived where he could see human sin, hear human swearing and blasphemy, see human diseases and observe human mortality, poverty and squalor. His mission was fully incarnational because he taught men by coming alongside them, becoming one of them and sharing their environment and their problems. 
This is what it means for us to be sent in the same way, to come alongside people, to share their problems, to be with them in their pain, and to offer love and hope that was first offered to us. We are all in a time and a place in a specific context, and we have unique people and relationships around us, and this is exactly where God has you and where God wants you and where God has sent you. This is your place of ministry. And if we believe we are sent in any other way for any other purpose, then we are, as Donald McLeod surmises, profoundly unfaithful to his great principle of incarnational mission. Number two, Jesus was sent missionally. Jesus' call to sentness confronts the commonly held idea that missions are a program that the church offers and oversees. Yes, mission is a part of a church, but it is not the only supposed to be part of a church. It is the actual heartbeat of God. God was the first missionary traveling around the garden looking for a couple that had lost their way. And Jesus was sent in the same way, on the move, always looking for those on the fringes, always open to the next conversation. Jesus' missional pattern shows us that he spent far more time addressing the physical, relational, emotional, and spiritual needs of individuals than preparing and delivering stump speeches for God. He was with people doing work. To be sent missionally means to be concerned about and work for the redemption of the whole creation. And where I think sometimes we fall short is believing that redemption is just wanting people to know Jesus. We equate God's mission with our desire of others to know Jesus. Now, of course, we desire this. But I'd say this is literally the easiest thing to desire in the world. Wanting people to know Jesus takes very little effort on our part. Meeting people's actual needs in order to get them to a place where they can understand and be open to the movement of God is something entirely different, and it is the way that Jesus was sent. Jesus paints a pretty sobering picture of what this might look like, what missionality might entail in John 25, and it's a longer passage, uh, and I tried to figure out how could I shorten and condense it, but I actually think we need to hear it because it's a passage I needed to hear once again. So you can uh, follow along with me if you'd like to. It's not going to be up on the screen. So if you don't have uh, a Bible in front of you, close your eyes and just imagine this picture. It's Matthew 25, 31 through 46. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, 
or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I think the church has become not only increasingly concerned, but also very adept at sneaking into the throne of the king and deciding for themselves which are the sheep or the goats. Yet the parable sets a pretty clear delineation of tasks. The king alone sits on the throne and decides. The sheep and the goats have no say as it's their actions that speak for them. If we look at this parable and examine the pattern by which Jesus was sent, it becomes hard to deny that our being sent must manifest itself in feeding the hungry, in clothing the naked, in welcoming the stranger, and in visiting the lonely. This work is to be done in the place that God already has you. And so I implore you, I implore myself, open your eyes to the people around And begin seeing them as Jesus sees them and loving them as Jesus loves them. Number three. Jesus was sent sacrificially. Last and perhaps most important, Jesus was sent sacrificially. In writing to the church in Rome about how Christians should understand their life in view of Christ's redemption, Paul says the famous verse, We are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this would be our spiritual act of worship. The greatest picture of sacrifice is Jesus confronting violence and evil on the cross. But do not overlook the sacrifice that he displays in his ongoing submission to the Father's will throughout the Gospels. Incarnation and missionality flow from a posture of sacrifice. To posture oneself in this way sacrificially means you are completely open to who God places in your life and the means by which he is calling you to care for them. It means you forego your agenda and your biases. It means you turn away from judgmentalism and entitlement and apathy and cynicism and laziness. It means life And time and money are not things you see as yours to keep, but as gifts to be used for the kingdom. Being sent sacrificially is not a list of things that you check off every day. It's the lens by which you see everything. 
similar to how carrying a cross may change the way you would have to walk, living sacrificially is a change in your posture. Jesus gave of himself and all that he had. And if we are to be faithful to the call, we too must give of ourselves and all that we have. Let me conclude with a a few final thoughts here. Once Jesus speaks the life-changing words, those ten words, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, he immediately follows it up with breathing the Holy Spirit upon the disciples, making good on his promise, reminding us of God's breathing of life in Genesis, even pointing us toward the prophetic words in Ezekiel uh, 36 where he says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And at Pentecost, the spirit is given to all who trust in his name and so we have all that we need. We have been equipped with everything that we need and now it's a matter of whether or not we choose to follow the call. If we choose to see ourselves as a sent people. Reuben Job says this, hearing is an important step in saying yes to God's call. But once we hear, we must still decide whether we will go We're invited to be sent. In other words, heaven may be the easy part of saying yes to God's call. Once we have heard and counted the cost, the most difficult task remains. However, with deep faith in the living God who calls us, the only reasonable response is to say yes. For in our best moments, we know God will ask us, only us, to say yes to an invitation that is good for us. Listen closely, think deeply, pray fervently, and you will be led to the right answer to God's invitational call. In my experience, the right answer is always yes. The good news is that even when I was unable to give the right answer, God was patient and gave me opportunity to grow in faith until I was able to say yes and to claim another part of my inheritance as a child of God. We need not be afraid of being sent in the same way as the Father sent Jesus because he has set a pattern and he has given us the Holy Spirit. As a community, I believe we will be known for how well we interpret and follow the idea of being sent. As it was once famously said, the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Jesus patterned for us incarnational mystery, missional action, and sacrificial living. He also patterned for us a closeness with the Father. And so this becomes the pattern that we follow. Just as it's not enough to skip practice to ready yourself for the game, don't miss your being sent because you're so focused on where you think you're going to go where you die. Because if you do, you might miss Jesus altogether. Let us stand.
Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for, we thank you for your scripture that still speaks and convicts our hearts today. Words that were spoken 2,000 years ago still move us and challenge us. God, may we be uh, not only a community of people, but individuals that understand our role as sent ones. May we look to the scripture and to your life and follow what you did. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit, as you have promised, would continue to go before us and lead us in that endeavor. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your patience every day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me leave you with this benediction. You have been called to the highest office, a follower of Christ, a lover of the other, a sent disciple, and a seeker of truth. Remember to sacrifice, to listen, to put yourself in a place of weakness because these things empower freedom, wisdom, and strength. As you go from this place, be comforted in knowing that all that you do or want to do or try to do has already been redeemed in Christ's love. Let this knowledge free your true self, holy and beloved of God. We pray in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace today.